Chapter Twenty, Part One of the Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley, Nano County, Texas, USA. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Friedrich Lederhose. Translated by Gottlob Frederick Krotel, 1826-1907 Chapter 20 Worms and Ratisbon, Part 1 The convention at Hagenau was not successful. The Chancellor of Treves here made a proposition in the name of the Catholics, July 6, 1540, that the points already disposed of in Augsburg in 1530 should not be considered now but they should merely discuss those on which they could not agree there. The Protestants would not agree to this, and declared, quote, that they could not recollect that any agreement in disputed matters had been reached in the Diet held at Augsburg, end quote. Finally, they obtained sight of a writing of Dr. X, who had compared the articles agreed upon, and they sent it to the elector with the remark, quote, your grace will be able to see from this in what a childish and improper manner they have prepared these. The convention adjourned without having come to an actual religious conference. This was now to be held in Worms on the 28th of October of the same year. The emperor was exceedingly anxious for a union, but before the meeting was opened, the elector requested the opinions of his theologians. In this they resolved not to acknowledge the precedence or judicial power of the Pope in the Council, and also to reject those articles marked by Eck as agreed upon. The elector positively enjoined upon his ambassadors by no means to depart from the meaning or the words of the Augsburg Confession. Whenever Melanchthon in his letters referred to the coming religious conference, he always expressed the wish, quote, Oh, that God would incline the hearts of the princes to magnify his glory and to seek wholesome peace. End quote. On the 18th of October, he set out with Krusiger. In Leipzig, they took along with them the professors Schäuble and Andrew Franck, called Camisianus, and in Eisenach, Justus. Menius selected instead of Myconius. In Gotha, he prepared the protestation, in which he showed, quote, how the Protestants should act in the present conference, and whether the spiritual ambassador is to be acknowledged as judge in disputed questions, end quote. On the 31st of October, they reached Worms, and November 2nd, he already wrote to Camerarius about the Quote, shameless hypocrites, Eck, Cochleus, Nausea, Menzinger, and others, who had been appointed to attend this conference in behalf of the Catholics. Quote, These men will pronounce sentence upon our heads, although they do not understand our cause, and are burning with hatred, and have stained their hearts and hands with the blood of the godly. But if an opportunity should present itself to explain our affairs, I shall, with God's help, 
endeavor to unfold those useful views which we contend for, clearly, truly, and without perversion. This I can do so much better, because I have ceased to regard the will of the princes, and on this account I have an easier conscience than I had before. End quote. And to Dietrich he wrote, quote, Even if Spanish and French gentlemen were standing before the gates, I would not approve of these double-tongued articles. End quote. He adhered steadfastly to this resolution, but the convention was not opened for a long time, owing to the delay of the imperial commissioner Granvella, quote, of whom it is said that he is at present the heart of the Emperor Charles. Quote. Although the papal nuncio, a brother of the well-known Cardinal Campagius, had arrived at the proper time. He formed the center around whom the enemy gathered to discuss their plans. More and more enemies arrived at forms in order that they might command a respectful position on account of their numbers. Quote, but God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will protect us. Whom do you also call upon to preserve and rule his church? End quote. Thus Melanchthon wrote to Jonas. The Protestants entertained the hope that Granvella, quote, would exert himself to obtain peace, even if no union or agreement could be effected, end quote. Melanchthon at this time did not visit any of the decided enemies. However, he went to a few of those who wished to be considered somewhat moderate. He wrote to Dietrich, quote, these wish to persuade me to consider the whole difference a mere contention about words. I answered, as Aristides said to Themistocles, that Athens would not have peace until they both would be drowned in the sea. So we also on both sides deserve the severest punishment if we were confusing the church by a mere contention about words. End quote. At last the imperial envoy Granvella arrived, November 22nd, and opened the session on the 25th with an address in which he entreated the states with tears to come to an agreement and conjured them to, quote, unite again the rent mantle of Christ and think of your name as Christians, which you received in holy baptism, and also of your own highly renowned German nation, end quote. They disputed a long time as to the manner in which the religious discussion should be conducted. Catholics would have preferred settling the matter as rapidly as possible without entering upon a regular discussion, although the final decree of Hagenau and also the imperial proclamation demanded that the separate articles of the Augsburg Confession and its apology should be debated in a friendly and Christian manner, but not so as to be obligatory. While these useless negotiations were carried on, Melanchthon was surprised by a visit from Camerarius on the 9th of December. This was an excellent opportunity for interchange of thought and friendly conversations. When Camerarius returned, Melanchthon sent a letter to the physician Fuchs in Tübingen by him, quote, I have been restored from death to life so short a time that I still bear about the remains of my sickness and sufferings. I am heartily obliged to Joachim that he wished to alleviate these by his visit. 
End quote. When Eck had prepared a form of agreement on the articles of original sin and justification, concerning which there was a great difference of opinion, the Catholics were anxious that it should be brought to vote. Eck must have considered his form a very excellent one, for he in various places made use of the ridiculous expression that they could not obtain a better one from Calcutta in India. The Catholics were not at all pleased when even the envoys of the Palatinate of Brandenburg and Ulick would not accept of this. Melanchthon wrote to Luther, quote, These acknowledged in a modest but determined manner that they approved of our opinions, as included and explained in the Confession and Apology. In a memorial address to Granvella by Melanchthon, the Protestants demanded that the matter should be discussed in a calm and Christian manner in the public assembly, and rejected the secret movements of their opponents, who merely wished ambiguous and entangling articles subscribed. On December 22nd, he also addressed a private letter to Granvella, in which he lays before him the necessity of public discussion, and says, quote, the Church will be benefited if we establish a pure and useful doctrine. I am conscious of my own weakness, yet as far as I am concerned, I do not fear the judgment of honorable and learned men, nor moderate counsels. After long debates, it was at last agreed upon that Eck and Melanchthon should debate the matter in the presence of all. At last, January 14, 1541, they began the debate in the presence of the imperial envoy Granvella. Melanchthon published an account of this discussion, which lasted but four days. We will present parts of this to show that, notwithstanding all his love of peace, he also adhered steadfastly to the truth. An old account, speaking of his and ex speeches, says that they compared with each other like the song of a nightingale with that of a raven. They first discussed original sin. Eck opened the debate and at once asserted the Augsburg Confession and Apology handed to him had been altered in many articles and did not agree with the former ones. It was certainly an arbitrary act on the part of Melanchthon to make alterations in those documents which had acquired a public character. But he explained that his alterations did not affect the substance but merely the form of expression which was milder and clearer now. Eck was not at all willing to grant this, especially when he regarded the tenth article on the Lord's Supper. However, he proceeded, passing over the first article, because both sides agreed on this, and came to the second article, Original Sin. He was not willing to admit that it was really sin, but it is merely a want of hereditary righteousness not of remaining gifts, and the evil lust which remains after baptism cannot be properly called sin. Melanchthon says, quote, Eck has at last admitted that the evil inclination which remains in the saints is a fault opposed to God's commandment, but the word sin he wished to be confined to unforgiven sins, End quote. Eck had disputed in the same way in Augsburg, but secretly he had said here and there that the views of the opposite side were really true. Melanchthon writes, quote, 
what a crime against his convictions that he should defend such a thing. But I trust that he has been refuted in a sufficiently clear manner. Granvella listened very attentively, and it is said of him that he declared he would faithfully report everything to his sovereign and also what he thought of the cause of the Protestants, which was not as foolish as their opponents represented it to be. They disputed on original sin for four days, and at last Eck proposed a form of agreement which did not oppose the Augsburg Confession. They were now about to proceed to discuss the article of righteousness, or justification, for which Melanchthon was very anxious. But on January 18th, an imperial decree was published to the assembly, which postponed this religious conference to the diet soon to be held in Ratisbon. Thus they left Worms again, and were obliged to confess that their journey had been entirely unsuccessful. All were now eagerly waiting for the Diet. Melanchthon, in a letter, says, quote, God grant grace that something profitable for the churches and the general peace may be accomplished at this Diet. End quote. Yet he looked forward to this Diet with a troubled heart, not because he feared a religious discussion with the enemy, but rather because he did not approve of the plans of the evangelical princes particularly those of the Landgrave Philip. Concerning the latter, he expressed himself in the very strongest terms. Luther had entreated the elector to excuse Philip from this journey, but the elector could not grant this request, because he needed able men at this diet. Yet he also trusted confidently that as he, quote, intended to abide faithfully to the end in the truth revealed and the pure doctrine of the divine word, end quote, so also would all the other allies in the faith present at this diet, quote, steadfastly adhere to that which becometh the honor of God and the extension of his saving word, end quote. The elector, deeply interested in the preservation of pure doctrine, gave explicit directions to his counselors how they were to act in Ratisbon. He particularly regarded Melanchthon with a watchful eye. He was ordered to reside with the counselors of the elector. If any person wished to converse with him there, it should be done in the presence of the counselors. Quote, and altogether Philip should take heed not to go out too much, but rather remain in his lodgings and with the counselors, even as he himself will best know how he ought to act. End quote. He departed with Krusiger on the 14th of March. From Leipzig he wrote home, quote, May God bless and overrule this journey and all our acts, that they may be undertaken for the honor of God, the growth of the gospel, the welfare of the church, and the peace of the empire. End quote. March 16th in the evening he reached Altenburg, and there united with the other delegates. But on the Bavarian frontier he met with a misfortune, for the carriage was overturned and he strained the wrist of his right hand so seriously that he could not use it, and it was thought for some time that it was broken. He not only arrived in Ratisbon in great pain, but could not use his hand for a considerable time. He dictated his letters to Krusiger, whom he therefore called his other self. 
On the 4th of April, he, for the first time, and with great difficulty, wrote to Eber in Wittenberg, and expresses the wish that God might make him a useful instrument in the church. On the following day, the Diet was opened by the Emperor himself. He expressed his wish to restore harmony, and thought the best way to accomplish this would be to appoint honorable and peaceable persons who should discuss the contested articles of religion and endeavor to bring about a compromise. They should then make a report and finally consult with the papal nuncio Contarini, whom the emperor called a friend of peace. Melanchthon wrote to Dietrich, quote, This is a dangerous business and therefore our friends have been disputing for two days among themselves. The more determined of them will only agree to a continuation of the discussion of Worms, but others are willing to permit the emperor to try this new way. The opinion of the latter was at last given to the emperor as the decision of the Protestants. He appointed Flug, Eck, and Groper of the Catholics, and Melanchthon, Bucer, and Pistorius of the Protestants, to discuss the articles. The Count, Palatine Frederick, and Granvilla were to officiate as moderators during this discussion, and some other persons were also appointed to attend as hearers and witnesses. Burkhard, in a letter to Chancellor Brook, also judges the different speakers at this conference. Quote, what hope of the spread of truth can be entertained? when they take the drunken Eck for such important matters, who values wine more than all religion. Julius Flug is altogether dependent upon the Pope. The third, Groper, is a worthy, modest, and not unlearned man, but he will be overcome by the noise on the one side and by craftiness on the other, and perhaps he will also introduce his own peculiar opinions which do not altogether agree with the truth of the gospel. I have confidence in all our theologians here present, and I am convinced that they will not forsake the truth. End, quote. End of chapter 20, part 1. Recording by Bill Mosley.